know if you've got your Bibles, turn with you to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll be looking today at verses 1 through 6. This is the last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for, for several weeks now, so uh, we're finally finishing or getting to the last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher that has ever, been, that has ever preached. Amen. And we come now to verse 1, and I, I think as you look down there at verse 1, everybody in here will say that is a very familiar verse. Verse 1 is probably, it's just if you Google it, this verse will probably be the, what does the Bible say? The first verse that's going to pop up is Matthew 7, verse 1. This is the most well-known, probably the most quoted verse in all the world today. Everybody here knows verse 1. But the problem with it is, I know we hear it a lot, but for the most part, this is also the most misunderstood and misquoted verses in the entire Bible. So what we want to do today is we want to clear that verse up and, and put it in its context of, of what Jesus is really saying here. Uh, I want to answer this question today. I, I titled the sermon this, and I want to answer that question. To judge or to judge not? Uh, that is the question. Uh, so let's stand together and let's look at that. And let's figure out if we can judge and how we can judge. To judge or to judge not. I want to read verse, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 6. And we're going to look at it again. To judge or to judge not. verse 1. And Jesus says, these are his words, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye uh, to you again. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how thou hypocrite First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dog. Turn again and rend you. Uh, so let's, let's pray together, and then we'll answer that question, to judge or to judge not. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer as, we, as I study, my prayer as I preach is that you would make your word come to life within us. That this wouldn't just be a dead word to us. That this wouldn't just be words on paper. would come to life. That it would pop out to us. And that you by your spirit would implant these words in our heart. Because God, if you don't do that, then what we're doing here is a waste of time. So God, please bring your word to life. Make it real in, in our lives today. I, I desire that. Make it real in my life. I need this. Our church needs this. Word, teach us by your spirit. I am 100% dependent upon you in preaching this. And God, I pray that everybody in here would be 100% dependent upon you. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
If you were to ask people just a few years ago, maybe even a decade ago, maybe even shorter than that, what their favorite verse in the Bible was, just go around and take a poll in all the churches in all of America and say, what is your favorite verse? At the top of that list would probably be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whosoever, and I love the word whosoever, because that word whosoever means me. If the word whosoever wasn't in there, then I would sit back and I would say, does He really mean me? But he says, whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is one of the greatest verses, if not the greatest verse, in the entire Bible. So in, in the years past, if you ask the church, if you ask Americans, what's your favorite verse? They would say, John 3.16. It's the sign that's held up at all the sporting events. John 3.16. John 3.16. John 3.16. But today, if you Google it, and you can do that. Don't do it right now, because I might think you're on Facebook or something. But if you were to Google it, and just, just write in, what does the Bible say? And the very first verse that pops up there, usually, I mean, I, I did it this week. That's how you guys know I'm studying. I'm typing in Google. Uh, that's what I do, type in Google. But if you were to type in Google and, and ask, well, what does the Bible say? Or what are the most popular verses in the Bible? It'll, it'll, most often, it'll pop up there, Matthew 7, 1. And that's, that's probably what people are putting in baseball games now. The signs up. Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 1. They may not know the, the chapter. They may not know the verse. They may not know the book that it's in. But they know the words, judge not. That has become the motto of our day. We hear it. And you know why we hear it? This is, this is how it happens. This is how it comes up. They hear us take a stand. They hear Christians take a stand today. We speak up. We say what we believe. I'll stand up here today and I'll say this. I'll say that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That there's only one way to be saved. And it's by the, the blood and the sacrifice and the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I will make that statement. And, and you know, I, I'll, if I say Jesus is the only way, I'll get myself in trouble. If I say Jesus is a way, or a good way, or a great way, or He's the greatest way, and I leave it open for other ways, then everybody will like me. But if I stand up here today and I say Jesus is the only way of Amen. salvation, Amen. then the world will hate me. And you know what they'll look at me and they'll say? Judge not. Who are you? Didn't Jesus say we're not supposed to judge? Judge not. Who, who died and made you judge, Josh? Judge not. And if I stand up here today and I say, I believe that fill in the blank is a sin. I believe that adultery is sin. I believe that, that uh, infidelity is sin. I believe that homosexuality is a sin. Anything you want to list under there, I believe this is a sin. I believe the Bible says this is a sin. It's automatically going to come back to me. Judge not. <laughs> who, who died, Josh, and made you the judge? That's what everybody's saying today. And it's been said about me that I, I, I shouldn't be judged. I've had people tell me recently, who, who made you judge? Yeah. It's not your place to judge. Judge not. I mean, I, I hear that verse more than I hear John 3.16 today. Judge not. Judge not. Judge not. Everybody's telling us, don't judge. The worst thing you can do in our world today is judge somebody. Our motto is love everybody, judge nobody. And what they mean by don't judge is leave me alone. Right. What they mean by judge not is let me go, live my life, let me do whatever I want to do, how I want to do it. I want to live how I want to live. And if, I, if you say anything that disagrees with me, then you put yourself up as judge over me, and you can't do that. Don't make yourself judge. Stay out of my life. Leave me alone. I want to live how I want to live, and I don't need anybody telling me anything about my life. Judge not. 
So don't judge. Don't let God judge. Don't let anybody call anything a sin. It's judge not. But is that what Jesus means here? Is that what Jesus meant when He said judge not here? Because understand me, you can't make Jesus mean what Jesus didn't mean. So we have to understand what Jesus meant here. Was He telling us that we can't judge? Was He telling us that we should not judge or shouldn't have an opinion on anything? That we can't make a definitive statement of truth? That we can't judge anybody in any way at all? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Because I'll give you this, and we have to get into the points, but the first two words of that verse is judge not. Matthew 7, 1, you can look down there. Jesus said, judge not. <laughs> I like this though. That's as far as most people read. They, they stop at judge not and they don't go any further. And you say, how much further do I have to go? Go, go, to, go just to verse 6 that we've already read here. Where Jesus calls some people dogs and He calls other people hogs. I think He's making a judgment there, is He not? And not only is He, is he making a judgment, He's telling us to judge between the dogs and the hogs. I think that would make a great restaurant too. Dogs and hogs. <laughs> Hot dogs and barbecue. I think it would be a great restaurant. But you, <laughs> You guys can use that if you want to now. Verse 6, he says that. Give not that which is holy unto dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before the hogs, the swine. He judges. Does he not judge there? I mean, just, just five verses later, he makes a judgment. And then you can read on in Matthew 7. I mean, these people in our world today might need to read beyond the first two words. Later on in Matthew 7, he looks at, at, at verse 15. He says, you've got to beware of false prophets which come unto you. And they wear sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So you're going to have to be able to, to judge between a true prophet and a false prophet. Between somebody who is, is really a sheep and somebody who's uh, dressed up as a sheep. You've got to, to judge. Amen. All of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been telling us to, to judge between the hypocrite and the real. I mean, it's just you better see who, who's the, the fake and who's, who's not the fake. I can go on in the Bible. And just, I, I don't want to go into all of them. But John 7, Jesus says, judge with right judgment. I can find verses too. Galatians 1 tells us to judge between a, the, the real gospel and a false gospel. Matthew 24 tells us to judge between real Christ and false Christ. Amen. 2 Timothy 4 says that when you preach, I love that passage, 2 Timothy 4, 1, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, <laughs> rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. You know what that means? Judge, judge, judge. Amen. I mean, there it is. It's in the Bible. You might want to read beyond two words. So which is it, Josh? Is it judge or is it judge not? You just gave us a verse that said judge not. And you gave us some verses that said judge. Which is it? Do we judge or do we judge not? Are we to judge people or not? And we need to understand this. What does Jesus mean here? That's the question. And this is important for us. Because these verses that Jesus are giving, is giving us in these six verses here is teaching us how to interact with each other. This isn't just some random thing that he's saying. He wants to teach us how to get along. And in order to get along, we must know whether he means judge or judge not. In order to interact, in order to get along with our co-workers, in order to get along with our classmates, in order to get along with the world, in order to get along inside a church, we need to know this answer. What does Jesus mean by judge not? So I want to give you three headings as we work our way through this and learn, judge or judge not. Answer that question. Let's start with number one. And you'll see that just in verses one and two. He says, he gives us the forbidden judgment. The forbidden judgment. He says there, and he says, judge not, that you be not judged. It says judge not. And the word judge there, as, as we look at this forbidden judgment, 
It means to distinguish between. I'll give you a little English lesson here today. To separate. To choose between two things. I'll give you an illustration of what it means. I was, I think it was last pastor's appreciation, I was given the title of Banana Pudding Judge. <laughs> I didn't want that title. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Steph made me. And they said, hey, bad people, make your best banana pudding. And, and different ladies in the church made their banana pudding. And, and, and then they set them all in front of me in plates. And I had to, to eat one and, and to eat another. I bet there was ten banana pudding. And I love banana pudding. And I was sitting there just I was in I was in hog heaven. <laughs> I was in dog and hog heaven. <laughs> and I was just sitting there eating those banana puddings. And then I had to make a decision. I didn't want to make that decision. I wanted to say they're all fine. They're all great. <laughs> But I had to make a decision. Which one was the best? Out of 10, 12 banana puddings, I had to say no. And, and you know, that, that, I, I don't know who, whose was what. So I'd say no, no, no. And then I had to make sure that I picked the one that Steph made. You know, I had to say no, 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 no. And she's sitting over there saying, you know. And I had to say no. And then you have to make the right decision. And there's nothing wrong with making judgments like that. I had to pick the one that was my favorite. I had to pick the one that was the best. I wasn't saying there's anything wrong with any of these other things. But I had to distinguish between. I had to separate. I had to choose which one was the, the best. That's what it means to judge. You're, you're separating and distinguishing between. We see that all the time. You see it in beauty pageants as they, they, they put the, the, the ladies up there and they have to choose between which one wins and which one doesn't. It, that's what it means to, to judge. But this doesn't mean, understand me, it doesn't mean that we don't judge anyone or anything. It doesn't, because that would be terrible. It doesn't mean that we, we don't judge between right and wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't judge between true and false. Because we are called to. We must judge between what is biblical and what is not biblical. We're called to do that. We must judge between what is of the Spirit of God and what is not of the Spirit of God. We're called to do that. We are to judge between sin and righteousness. We're to judge between what is moral and immoral. It, it matters that we make righteous judgments on what is right and what is wrong. So we are told to do that. If we were left to not judge anything in any way, it would create a free-for-all in our society, which is what we're creating now. Can you imagine if my kids started saying that to me? If I told them they did something wrong, they'd say, Dad, Jesus has judged not. <laughs> Leave me alone, you know. That's what they want in our society today. Just leave us alone. Let us make our own decisions and do our own things. Judge not. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. We are commanded to judge. So what does this mean? Jesus isn't telling us not to judge. Jesus is telling us not to be judgmental. There's a difference between judging and being judgmental. There's a difference between, let me say it this way, there's a difference between me judging between which banana pudding I like the best and me eating every banana pudding and looking for what's wrong with it. You with me? That I get this one, I'll say, let me see what's wrong with this thing. And I sit there and say, Shh, that's got too many wafers. That's got, that ain't got enough bananas. I'm an expert at banana pudding. <laughs> And, you should, and, and every, let me see what's wrong with this one. Let me see what's wrong with this one. Let me see what's wrong. That's not judging. That's being judgmental. That's walking into a church. And when you walk in, the first thing you do is, let me see what's wrong with this church. Yeah. And you come in here not wanting to go to church and to worship God. You come in being judgmental on what you can find is wrong within the church. Right. 
There's a difference between judging and being judged mental. And Jesus here is condemning. He is forbidding us to be a judgmental people. He's forbidding us to have a, from having a judgmental spirit or a judgmental attitude. And he is, the, the picture that he is looking at here, the people are the Pharisees. Let me explain to you what the Pharisees were like. The Fer- and this is what it means to be judgmental. Pay attention and, and see if you guys are judgmental. The Pharisees thought that they were holier than thou. They thought they were know-it-alls. They thought they were better than everybody else, higher than everybody else, holier than everybody else, and knew more than everybody else. The Pharisees were superior and, and others were inferior. The, the Pharisees were smug. They judged the world on everything that they did. They were harsh. They were critical. They were mean. They were arrogant. They set themselves up in the seat of judge where they were not only the judge, but they were the jury and they were the executioner or they had the decision on you're right, you're wrong, you're going to hell and you're going to heaven. They were judgmental. They were overly critical. They were too harsh. They weren't looking for the best in people. They were looking for the worst in people. They were judgmental. They were judging the world for everything. They were judging everybody they saw. The disciples came in one There's a story in the Gospels where the disciples came in and, and of course, preaching the Gospel, sitting down to eat with, with, with sinners. And they looked at them and said, you didn't wash your hands. <laughs> I mean, just looking for something to judge everybody on. Uh, maybe you know the top. But that's what the Pharisees were. They judged too harshly. They judged too quickly. They judged unfairly. They judged unlovingly. They were judgmental. And Pharisees still exist. Churches are full of, and it's a shame that churches today are full of judgmental people. I hope it's not this one. You say, what does that mean? There are Christian critics out there that watch other Christians just to wait to see them fail. There are Christian critics out there that will watch everything you do on Facebook, zooming in on your Facebook, and did I see a beer somewhere? <laughs> oh no, it's just apple juice. You know? <laughs> but they're looking for it. They're, they're, they're clicking into your pictures. They're watching everything you do. They're watching you at the games. They're watching you in church. They're watching, are they singing? Ah, they didn't sing that verse. I bet they're not even saved. <laughs> looking across the aisle, they're not taking notes. You know? Christian critics. And they're not only Christian critics, <laughs> they're preacher critics. There's some people that have the gift of criticizing preachers. <laughs> I mean, he went too short. No, nobody ever criticized me for that. <laughs> he went too short. He went too long. He had too many notes. He didn't have enough notes. It's just, he, you know, everything. His tie wasn't this color. His tie wasn't that color. His hair was this way. He had a beard. He didn't have a beard. He had this. He had that. And it's all the time fault finding. It's hypercritical. It's unkind criticism of everything everybody does. So you have a Christian critic, you have preacher critics, you have, and I know the type. I mean, people could write articles about preachers. You have church critics. You have people critics. Do you ever criticize other churches? Oh, man. You worry as much about your own church as you do everybody else's church. What they're doing, what they're doing, what they're doing. They're doing wrong. No, they're doing wrong. They set themselves up as judge, jury, and execution. And Jesus here condemns, forbids, 
a judgmental attitude. These words, judge not, forbid us to have a judgmental attitude where we think we are the judge of everybody else. And he switches it around here. I want you to see this. I like that because he says, judge not, that ye be not judged. Do you see that? Because it, he said, judge not. And then twice here he says, that ye be not judged or ye shall be judged. Which means these people that are judging are going to be judged. Which means that I've seen them judge a lot. These people that are judging will be judged. Which means they're not the judge. If you're sitting there and, as a judge and somebody walks in and takes your seat, you're not the judge. You may have the gavel in your hand. You may have the robe on. But when Judge Judy walks in, she's the judge of the courtroom. I'm not the judge anymore. I could be sitting there. I could be taking pictures in her seat. I could have the gavel in my hand. But when she walks in, it's order in the court. Here comes the judge. And I'm not that judge. Somebody's going to judge me. We're not the judges. There's, there's somebody that is over us that is our ultimate judge. I'm not the judge. Understand that. I'm not qualified to be the judge. I, my judgment's faulty. My judgment is biased. We don't have all the facts, and even when we do, we, we really don't. I heard a story this week about an old lady who was sitting in the airport waiting for her flight. And she goes and she buys herself some cookies, and she sits down and waits on the flight. She sits down beside a guy, and she sits there going to eat her cookies. And there she has the, the uh, cookies beside of her. And in between the guys, you guys are just sitting in the airport. You know how close those seats are. And the cookies are sitting there. And all of a sudden she looks over and the guy reaches in and gets a cookie and eats it. She's like, well, I don't want to say nothing. So she reaches in and she gets a cookie and she eats it. And they sit there back and forth until there's only one cookie left. And she's fuming. And he reaches over and gets the last cookie. Breaks it in half and gives her half and he keeps half. And she's sitting there, I mean, just red-faced, just ready and fired up. And she, she doesn't say anything. She, she's good. She's going to be nice. And then they call her plane. She gets on the plane. And when she sits down in her plane, she reaches in her pocketbook, she finds her cookies. <laughs> she, <laughs> she'd been eating his cookies. <laughs> we can't judge. We don't always have the right information. Funny story, if you guys get it. I, I thought you'd get better laughs than that. <laughs> I, mean, I read it, I chuckled. <laughs> We're not qualified to judge. You know who is qualified to judge? There's only one judge, and it's God. He's the one that is judge over all of us. And, and that's what chapter 7 is going to point us to. Chapter 5, we saw God as king. In chapter 6, we saw God as father. And in chapter 7, we now see that we aren't the judge, God is the judge. He's the one that knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows the history behind everything that's going on. He knows our circumstances. He's the only one that is qualified to not only be the judge, but He's the jury and He's the executioner. He will determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That's none of our business. We preach the gospel and let Him separate. He is the judge. He's the only one wise enough to judge. He's the only one loving enough to judge. He's the only one that knows enough to judge. I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. God is the judge. Amen. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said it. He was being criticized. Apparently there's always preacher critics. I, 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 won't read, I will read it to you. I'm gonna, you, guys are, you guys are in tune. You, you, you want to hear a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I like this. <laughs> Paul said this, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. <laughs> you, you like that? 
or of any man's judgment. Yea, I can't even judge mine own self, he says there. I, for I know nothing about myself. How can you judge me when I don't even know enough about me to judge me? You surely don't know enough about me to judge me. And look what he says. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Amen. God is the judge. And we need to be very careful when we set ourselves up as judge of anybody. When we put the gown on and we put the gavel in our hands and we start judging people, we need to be very careful. And he says here, why? I'm not even about through one verse yet. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With what measure, what standard you use, it will be measured and used against you. You say, what does that mean? This is a very careful, you need to be very careful how you judge because the rod that you use or the measurement that you use, the standard that you use, the attitude that you have towards other people is how God will ultimately judge you. Amen. It's the boomerang that comes back to get us. How you, you ever seen a book? How you throw the boomerang. How you judge people. The attitude that you have towards people, how strict and harsh and judgmental you are on people, is how that will come back and hit you one day. You need to be very careful. If we are, understand this, if we nitpick, we will be nitpicked. If you try your best to expose other people and their sin and their ways, you will be exposed. If you, and you can see that in, in Matthew 7, 12, where he talks about, look, therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. How you want to be treated, that's how you need to treat other people. Because how you treat people, and that's with people too, is how they will ultimately treat you. If you're mean to people, they will be mean to you. If you're harsh with people, they will be harsh to you. It's a boomerang that comes back at us. If you are self-righteous and show no mercy and no love, that's how God will treat you. If you are unsympathetic, if you are harsh, if you are ruthless, if you treat others bad, if you're finger pointing, it's exactly how it'll come back to you. That's, right. That's what he says here. I'm not making that up. And it'll be by others, but mostly it'll be by God. Matthew 5 says, if you show no mercy, God won't show you mercy. Matthew 6 says, if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. So how you treat other people is how God's going to treat you. Right. It's just a boomerang that comes right back at you. You need to be very careful how judgmental you are with people. If you're strict, God will be strict. If you're severe, God will be severe. If you're harsh, God will be harsh. If you're vicious, God will be vicious. You need to be very careful how judgmental you are of other people. Because when we stand before God, what do you want from God? I, I don't want strict. I don't want severe. When I stand before God, I must have mercy. Amen. I need Him to be merciful to me. Amen. Aren't you glad He showed you mercy? Aren't you glad that He showed Zacchaeus mercy? He could have easily saw Zacchaeus up in the tree and said, You black-hearted son of the devil. You come down from there. I'm going to judge you. But He looked at Zacchaeus and He said, Come down. I want to come to your house. He showed him mercy. When Peter failed, did he show him mercy? You better believe he did. James 2.13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy on those that have showed no mercy. Can I say that again? For he shall have judgment without mercy on him that hath showed no mercy. That's not what you want before God. 
Luke 6 says the same thing. Let me give you a quote and we'll move on to the next point. It says that, this is about John Chrysostom. He's one of the early church fathers. He says, Thou art making the judgment seat dreadful to thyself. The more judgmental you are, the more dreadful the judgment seat will be for you. That's right, preacher. Amen. This is serious. Be very careful how you judge. How we criticize, how we treat other people, because Jesus here forbids an unloving, self-righteous judgment. <clears throat> so now we transition to the next point. That was a, the forbidden judgment. I, I want to move the, to the next one where he shows us the foolish judgment. And it starts in verse 3 and goes through verse 5. And what he does here, in case we don't understand the, the lesson, verses 1 and 2 is the lesson, and this next point is the illustration. This is him showing us a picture of how this works. And he gives us this, this foolish judgment here. I love how Jesus, the master teacher, illustrates his sermons. Just like I use the lady at the airplane, just like I, I use the banana pudding things, just, just to illustrate to you a point. It, it isn't me being up here being silly. I'm following the, the example that Jesus gives. Because here he gives us, he says, if you don't understand, let me tell you a story. Let me give you an illustration. And this is one of the funniest illustrations Jesus gives. When he gave this, I can imagine the people in the crowd laughing. Watch what he says. And he shows us the foolishness of judgment. He says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? This is an illustration showing us two men, and probably two carpenters. Jesus grew up as a carpenter, so he would know what it's like inside a, a, a place where they're working with wood. A place where there's carpentry going on. A place where there's things being made. A thing where, where beams are being made. And a beam would be something, and that, that's, I want to show you what those two words mean, but a moat, look at this, and behold us now, the moat, that is nothing but a splinter. It's, it's nothing but sawdust. It, it's a small, I use the word speck. It's nothing but a small speck of dust that is in a guy's eye. It's the smallest fragment of wood that you can find. It's something that would be on the floor of a carpentry room where, they, where they're sawing things and cutting things and little pieces of wood would come up and get in, in their eyes. So that's what that is. That, that mote in, in one's eye and considers not the beam that is in thine, thine own eye. And that word beam there, it's lumber. It's a big piece of wood. They would use a beam for the mast of a ship. They would use a beam for the roof of a house. They would use a beam, I like this term, they would use it as a battering ram to knock down doors. So we're talking about a big piece of wood here compared to a small sawdust sized piece of wood. And look what he says in the illustration he gives here. The one with the beam is the judgmental self-righteous Pharisee. So he says, why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye? Why, why, why are you looking for, you see that word beholdest? Why are you going the extra mile to find? Are you with me there? Why are you chasing it down? Why are you using a magnifying glass? Because if you, right now, think about it. Can anybody in here see whether I have anything in my eye or not? The answer is Brandon would be the closest one. He still can't see. He couldn't tell you that. He'd have to get a you know what Brandon would have to do to see if I have anything in my eye. He'd have to get up here and get a magnifying glass and get as close as uncomfortably possible and look into my eye. You know how an eye doctor does? They have to get inside the eye. I mean, Steph will come and say, "Do I have some in my eye?" And she'll hold that eye open, and, and I'm looking as I can't see anything. 
This guy's beholding. He's looking. He's getting. He's searching through the life of his brother, trying to find anything he can on him, and he doesn't pay attention at all to this big old log that's in his eye. You see what he's saying? Why beholdest thou? I love that word beholdest. Why are you searching for it? Why are you hunting after it? Why are you looking for the tiniest possible sins in other people's lives? Why are you a speck hunter? Why are you looking for the faults in other people? Why are you watching people? Why are you zooming in on their Facebook pages or their pictures trying to find anything you can? Why do you follow them around, see what they buy in Food City? <laughs> Bet you they're going to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> Hiding behind the corner. You can find anything you want on somebody if you look hard enough. It's just true. You can see the dust in my eye if you want to. You can take the extra effort and go the extra mile to find something on me if you want to. If you look close enough, and I'm talking about me, but if you look close enough at anybody's life, you will find something. And you know why? Because every single one of us here is sinners. There's something, there, there's, there's specks in all of our lives. There may be even logs in all of our lives. We all have sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why do we need to go around with magnifying glasses, searching, beholding anybody's sin? Why do we want to see that? You know why? It makes me feel better about myself if I see sin in your life. So I'm going to go searching for it. I'm going to go with a magnifying glass and try to find something in your life to try to judge you on. And I'm not paying any attention at all to the big sin that's in my life. If you want dirt on me, just follow me around. Get close enough to me. You'll find it. I'll give you another illustration. I remember when Tommy tells a story. The first time he met me, he thought I was the holiest man. <laughs> it's funny. He said, I thought you just sit in your house never done anything wrong. You're just a holy, holy man. He said, then I got to know you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's a true story. And I always say, thanks, man, you know. He's like, no, you're, you're just a sinner like we are. Right. The closer you get, the more you'll see. And if you want to go searching for it, you'll find it in all of our lives. You'll see it. So why go searching for it? Why go looking for it? And why not consider? You see that word considerest? You see it there? Why behold us the mote in thy brother's eye, but you don't even think about the word considerest? You don't even think about that big old beam that's in your own eye? You've got 20 20 vision on others, but you're blind to yourself. You're easy on yourself and, and, and you excuse yourself, but you're hard on other people. You overlook your sin, but you magnify the sin of somebody else. That's what these, these people are. It's a self-righteous hypocrite is what it is. When you deny your own sin and don't even talk about it or mention it, but you focus on somebody else's, it's always the hypocrite that is hypercritical. I would write that one down. It's always the hypocrite who is hypercritical. Because they're trying their best to find sin in somebody else's life to make themselves feel better. We all ought to spend less time looking for other people's sins and more time looking for our own sins. I'll say it in a minute. Why are you so worried about the weeds in your neighbor's yard when you've got weeds in yours? Don't you worry about whether my house is clean. Worry about your own house. Clean your own house. Look at your own life. That's what it's saying here. Why should I be judgmental on everybody else? You've done this and you've done that and you've done this. When I even, I haven't even took a look at my life. 
Turn the magnifying glass around and look at me. And then, well, watch this in verse, verse 4. He moves on. He takes it deeper. He can't help himself. This guy with a beam in his own eye. It, other people's sins aggravate him. Other people's sins get him stirred up. He isn't angry. He isn't mad. He's not upset about his own sin. He sees the sin in everybody else and says, I've got to say something. I, I'm the... I clean up sin in the world. I'm the one that, There's so much bad out there that God's called me to clean it all up. Not my life. My life might be filthy, but I'll clean yours up. There's so much bad doctrine out there. I'll correct everybody else. That's what this is. Well, look what he says. He couldn't help himself. There's a change here. He goes from seeing it, maybe gossiping about it, maybe judging from a distance, maybe fuming on the inside. I can't believe he's got a dust in his eye. So now he's got to go and say something. Look what he says. Verse 3, he saw it. Behold it. Beheld it. Verse 4, he's, or how wilt thou say to thy brother? Walks up to his brother. Big old log in his eye. This is funny. Big old log in his eye. Walks up to his brother and said, I, mean, I almost brought in a two by four today. I would look real silly doing that. Maybe more than you know, not as silly as me pretending to have one. But he walks up to his brother with a big old piece of wood in his eye. And he says, let me help you with that dust in your eye. How silly is that? Uh, he, he can't help himself. He, he walks up and says, let me help you. Let me correct you. He confronts him. And, 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 and you think about this. It's just like a, a, a blind doctor trying to give you an eye exam. You ain't going to take it, are you? You can't help me. You're blind. It's like, <laughs> I shouldn't say this. It's like an out-of-shape trainer walking up to somebody who's buff and saying, let me tell you how to live that. You want to say, you? You? I can't take tips from you. Look at yourself. Get yourself ready. Look like you've worked out, and then I'll take your tips. I've had that happen. The skinniest little guy in the gym walk up and say, I think you're doing that wrong. I don't say that. Judge not. I've heard it here. I'm going to say this. This will get me in so much trouble. I told Steph earlier this week, I said, I'm going to say it. But I have seen people here, not recently, but in the past. You guys are on the edges of your seat now. Oh, Josh is getting it now. <laughs> Walk up to somebody standing outside and say, you know that cigarette isn't good for your body. And they walk up. And they're not the healthiest person in the world. That's the nicest way I can say it. And they're beholding the leaf that is in their mouth without even thinking about the beef that is in their mouth. Wow. You know what that is? Hypocrisy. Jesus says it there in verse 5. You hypocrite. You fake. Only a self-righteous hypocrite see sin in others and not in themselves. It's like the church has become very hypocritical in this. I want to say this too. It might, it might make some people mad. But we sit and talk about the sanctity of marriage over and over and over in America. It's always, oh, we've got to protect the sanctity of marriage. We've got to vote for the sanctity of marriage. We've got to keep marriage between one man and one woman. And I agree with that. I know that's true. But inside the church... Adultery is rampant. Inside the church, divorce is rampant. And we're talking about sanctity of marriage. Fix yourself. Heal thyself, physician. 
Fix, we, we work on fixing others. We're angry about other people's sins. If we got half as mad about our own sins as we do others, we'd be in a much better place. If you worried about your own sins as much as you did everybody else's sins in here, we might get our, our, our act cleaned up. We think it's our place to correct everybody. And we never fix ourselves. John proud people tend to speak of others' sins and not their own. Again, we ought to be more angry at our, at our, our sins than at other sins. And then he corrects it here. And, I, and I've got to move on. I've got one more point to give you. But look what he says here at the, at the end of the illustration. He goes from saying it to saying something about it. You say, when can I say something about somebody else's sin? Am I just to overlook everybody else's sin? Look what he says here. Here's the solution to it. He says, you hypocrite. You, you fake. <laughs> or, Thou hypocrite. First, he says here, this is how you do it. This is the order. First, get the beam out of your own eye. First, clean up your own life. First, confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Clean your house. Pull your weeds. If you're on an airplane, they say, if we're going down, which I don't listen to much after that, but if, it, if, a plane, <laughs> if you're going down, Do I look over and say, here? Sometimes secure your mask first and then help them with theirs. That's what Jesus is saying here. Get your own life right before you try to fix somebody else's. Get your own marriage right before you try to fix somebody else's. Get your own home right before you try to fix somebody else's. Get that log out of your eye before you try to get dust out of somebody else's eye yourself in shape before you try to get somebody else in shape. Look hard at yourself. If we would look hard at ourselves, we'd find enough stuff to occupy our time. Right. There are busy bodies. As we do everybody else's. We could occupy, I could occupy my time plenty enough with my own life. And then, once you clean your own life, own life up, once you clean your own house and pull your own weeds and secure your own oxygen, now you can see clearly. <laughs> can you imagine that? I mean, I'm sure that one brother, I know this is an illustration, but if, you, if somebody walked up to you with a log in their eye and they say, I saw from a distance that you've got a speck in yours, you'd say, you're blind. You can't see nothing. Sin will blind you right. from seeing somebody else's life. You may be wrong because you're in sin. It'll cloud your judgment. If you're in sin, it clouds, clouds your judgment of everybody else. So he says, now that you see clearly, look what he says. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly, so that you can cast out the mote of thy, out of thy brother's eye. Now you can deal with somebody else's sin. Now, not before, but now that you have cleaned your own life up. I'll say that about churches. Can I, can I say that? I got, I got a man. Get your own church right before you start judging mine. Get, get, get your own church out there. I mean, it's, it's a hypocritical, critical judgment of churches today. I wouldn't do it this way. I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't do it this way. I wouldn't do it that way. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Now you can go and help him out. 
And I like this. Now you can go and help him out. Now you can cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. You can get the dust out of his eye. You can go up there and say, and get it out. But when you do it, you go and you approach him as a, a brother Amen. and not a judge. Amen. You approach him in a gentle way and not a harsh way. Can you imagine an eye doctor coming to you if you've got something in your eye and he's got a sword? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> but an eye doctor always comes in very gently. Not like a dentist. Dentists come in, you know, they've got like hammers and saws. <laughs> Eye doctor comes in very gently, very easy. We're dealing with something very sensitive here. So when one of your brothers is in sin, you clean your own life up first, and then you go in with kid gloves. A judgmental way, but a very loving way. With care and concern for them. Their reputation. Galatians 6 1 says this, and I'll move on. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, the word spiritual there, ye that have already taken care of your own self, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness and gentleness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You be very careful with your brother's sins. Be very careful. You don't come in with fists. You don't come in with swords. You don't come in as a judge. You don't come in from over top of them saying, look at you. You come in very carefully. That's how you deal with people in church. It shows us the foolishness of judgment there. And this sounds great. I, I think so. But not everybody will be open to this kind of judgment. Would you agree? When was the last time you walked up to somebody and said, you know what, I'm, I think you're in sin. And, 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 and get this, and, and, you, and you went in, in a way that was very, you, you followed the order. I mean, you cleaned your own self up, you had the right attitude, you were not judgmental, you were loving, you were careful, and you're like, I want to help this person out. So I'm going to walk up to them and I'm going to say, hey, you know, I, I think you. you're being very loving, you're being very careful, I've done this. And I'm, I'm thinking my attitude's right, I've prayed about it, now I'm going to approach this person and I'm going to say, you know, you know what, i got kid gloves, and usually I stutter and I stammer, and I'm like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, they're going to get so mad at me, they're going to get so mad at me. I even do it with, with, with Steph, you know, I think she's in the wrong, which, you know, that, that's scary. Uh, she does it to me if she thinks I'm in the wrong. Well, you have to be able to do that with each other. And, and the reaction usually is, right? If you do that to somebody in the church, you do that to somebody in your family, you walk up to them and you're trying to easily and very lovingly and not in a judgmental way, you try to correct them. How often do you get back? Thank you. That was so nice of you to tell me. I think I'll fix that now. I'll tell you. How many times that's that, that's the reaction I've got. <laughs> if I walked up to you today and I cleaned my life up and everything, I followed all the orders, all the steps, and I walk up to you and I'm very, very kind and very loving and very just, you know, just the most gentle person you could ever imagine. I'm sitting there laughing, I'm smiling, you know. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And I say, you, 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 you know, see, see me started? I don't even know how to say it now. You, you kind of got this going on and you need to fix it. Judge not. <laughs> Who do you think you are? That's going to be the response you get. And Jesus here tells us what to do when that becomes the response you get in verse 6. And this is, I call it the, the, the fearful judgment. Because what happens when you don't accept correction? 
Look at verse 6. This is a fearful judgment. You don't want to miss this verse. Give not that which is holy. What does that mean? Jesus is giving us another illustration where He says you don't take what's valuable. Pearls were the most valuable thing on earth then. You can imagine, where do you get pearls at? At the bottom of the ocean. What kind of technology did they have to get pearls at the bottom of the ocean in those days? They didn't. You know what they did? They would take a guy and tie him to a rock and just drop him down there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even kidding. That's what they did. And a lot of people died doing that. And some people would come up and, and they'd be out of air and they'd say, I got a pearl. And they'd grab it. I mean, it's the most valuable thing in the world. And he's saying here, you don't take what's valuable, a pearl, and, and, and throw it to, to hogs. Because hogs won't value that. They'll think it's corn and they'll try to eat it. And if, it's, and if it's not edible, they're going to turn around and attack you for not giving them corn. And then he gives us a dog illustration. It says you'll take something holy and give it to a dog. Something holy is a sacrifice that is put on the altar in the Old Testament. You don't take something holy and feed it, something that goes to God, and feed it to a dog. Because a dog isn't going to appreciate it. A dog that will eat its own vomit won't appreciate meat off the altar. I'll give you another illustration. I don't like to take my kids to a steakhouse. Because when we leave, they ask for chicken nuggets on the way home. So you don't take them to a fancy restaurant and pay $30 for a steak when they want a 50-cent chicken nugget on the way home. So me and Steph go by ourselves, let somebody babysit, and buy a 20-piece chicken nugget for them on the way home. That's what he's saying here. You don't give something valuable, something just, just wonderful, to somebody who doesn't appreciate it. To somebody who's not going to welcome it. To somebody who's stubborn about it. So you don't give it to them. And this is a great illustration. Because they don't value it. Value it. They don't want it. You say, what does that mean for us? I love this. We offer the greatest value to people. First of all, if, if, if we come to you and try to correct you in a very loving and kind way, I'll even say that in a sermon. If you get up here and something steps on your toes, it's not on purpose. Unless the preacher is very judgmental. And I'm, I'm trying my best not to be that way. We're offering you help. We're offering you correction. We're exhorting with long-suffering, rebuking and reproving, trying to help your life. It's something of great value offered to you. And if you don't take it, and you don't want it, and you don't value it, Jesus here says, leave them alone. Amen. Leave them alone. Because all it's all going to end up with is a fight. All, and it says right here, look what it says. Be trampled under your foot and turn to you and rend you. It's going to end up ugly. Just leave them alone. I'll give you another illustration of this. We offer what is most valuable in the gospel to the world. We offer the world salvation. We offer the world forgiveness in full. We do. We, we offer to the world. We, we broadcast the gospel as far and wide as we can. It is the most valuable thing that the church has to offer the world. Jesus and salvation. But if they're not open to it, if they oppose it, if they're stubborn and have no interest in it and they're just going to do nothing but take our gospel and trample it underfoot, then Jesus here says, don't give it to them. He says, stop. There's a time to stop. 
Now, this, this isn't a hard saying of Jesus. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to move on. There's some people that sometimes in their life, they just won't listen to you. And Jesus says, walk away. There's some places where they just won't accept the gospel. You just walk away. Or you say, are you being serious? Yeah, you can't force this. You can't force people. You can't force help on people. And you can't force the gospel on people. So he's saying you've got to, to judge. You've got to discern when they want it and when they don't want it. Jesus did with the, this with the Jews. He looked over Jerusalem and said, I would have taken you under my wing. But now I leave you alone. Just leave them. Jesus told his disciples, get this, if you go to their house and they don't want you, dust off your feet and walk away. I've done that before. I went to a house one time as I was walking up the porch, I don't know if he thought I was a Jehovah's Witness. I don't, I don't know what it was. He didn't, he didn't get to, I didn't even get to the gospel. He come out of his door. Get out of here! I don't want nothing you're going to tell me. I got to my car and took off my shoes and Amen, preacher. Just went on. Just go on. Drive by the house today and I still do. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally, but you know. <laughs> there's a time to move on there's a time not to speak there's a time that when you give the gospel to somebody it's just going to cause a fight and you know I've had situations where and, and I'm being honest here where, where I've, I've tried to share the gospel with somebody that's drunk and they're talking to me you know slurring their words and, and, and going on and, and just, just being all you know how a drunk person is and I think in my head I thought this is throwing pearls to swine. They're going to do nothing with that but trample it under their feet. They're not going to believe this right now. Now's not the time. This isn't the place. It doesn't mean you don't come back. I heard a story this week about a, a preacher who went to a, his, his wife called a preacher and said, will you come to the house? My husband's on his deathbed. Preacher, of course, yeah, now, now's the best time for me to, he wasn't saved, he wasn't a believer. She'd been faithful to church, and he goes to the house, and he sits down at the bedside of this man, and he says, you know, I, I, can I share the gospel with you? And God says, no, I don't want to hear it. No. The preacher says, okay. He could have easily force fed it right then, right? Like trying to force feed a baby. You ever try to force feed a baby? Get that little spoon, you, do, you start doing all kinds of things. You know? <laughs> All, all these different stuff you're trying to do, and they're sitting there tight-lipped, and you're sitting there trying, and the, the plane goes, and I start trying to stick that thing in their mouth, you know. It don't work. You usually spit back out at you, trampled underfoot, you know. This preacher sit down, and, he's, and the guy said, no, I don't want to hear. The preacher said, okay. Is there anything else I can do for you? That, preacher, that, that man said, I've been sick. And I ain't been able to do anything for my wife around the house. And it's cold outside and I have not cut any firewood. Would you cut us some firewood? The preacher took off his jacket, rolled up his sleeves, went out, started cutting some firewood. He said, I brought some in. I put it all around the fireplace. I, I stacked some outside so it'd be ready to go for weeks weeks later. He said, then I walked in. I said, is, is that all you need? He said, yep, that's all I need. And the preacher said, I walked away. Now's not the time. This ain't the person. He's just going to trample it underfoot. He will not believe. He will not listen. 
He said about two weeks later, he got a phone call. That wife said, my husband just set up and said, will you call that preacher that cut the firewood for us? And that preacher finished that story because he went there and the guy said, I want to hear the gospel now. And he believed. Amen. That preacher was telling the story. He said, you know what? Sometimes there's a time to cut firewood. Sometimes there's a time to give the gospel. And it takes, you know what? Judgment to tell the difference. Jesus throws verse 6 in here to keep us out of balance. The hardest thing in life to do as a Christian is to maintain balance. It's like those V8 commercials. You guys ever seen a V8 commercial? Walking like this right here? I see a lot of Christians that are unbalanced. You know what I'm saying? First of all, you can be so unbalanced that you never judge anything in any way at any time. That's out of balance. And then on the other side, you can be so judgmental about everything that you're nitpicking and looking and trying your best to get, get, find everybody else's sin. You're, you're, you're V8 out of balance. Jesus here throws verse 6 in because we can, we can easily say, okay, I can't judge no more. And then he throws verse 6 in and he says, no, 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 no. Now you've got to find some balance. There's a place and a time to judge. Some people are dogs and hawks. And you need to be able to tell the difference. Because there's a time to just say no. And it is a very scary. I, I title this, this point here, the, the fearful judgment. There's a time, get this. There's a time when God tells people with the gospel, just go on. There's a time when God tells people with correction, for, for the good of your own soul, just leave it alone. They're not going to hear it now. And that is a scary place for you to be. When God tells people just to leave you alone, the last thing I want in life is for God to leave me alone. Yeah. The last thing. Amen. When you turn off your ears and won't listen anymore, it's the worst place you can possibly be. Yeah. When you close your eyes, I'll give you another illustration of my kids. When they don't want to hear what I have to say, they close their eyes, stop up their ears, do da 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 And then they get... Is that not a scary place to be? That when we close our eyes and stop up our ears and say, I don't want to hear what other Christians have to say, and I don't want to hear what God has to say, then God says, I'll give you the nine, 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 nine. It's a fearful place to be. Fearful place for people in church today, because you know what this sermon's trying to do today? It's trying to correct you. It's trying to correct all of us. Everybody in here, this sermon is trying to correct a judgmental attitude. And if you're going to sit there and you're going to say, no, 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 I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to listen, then God might just say, leave them alone. Leave them alone. They are not open to any correction at all. And it's the worst place to be. It's our job to make sure that we are moldable in the hands of our Father. That anything He tells us to do, we do. Anything He wants us to be, we be. And if He doesn't want us to be judgmental, then God, please help me not to be judgmental. That's the correction for all of us in here today. And I will confess to you that I have spent all week, I'll confess to you this morning, I've spent all week this week asking God to forgive me for my judgmental attitude. I've had a judgmental attitude. I've had a judgmental spirit. I can easily sit back as a preacher and say, wonder where this one's at this morning. I bet you they stayed out last night drunk. 
You know, you start thinking these things and you start judging people. You have no idea where they were. I have. I have no idea where those people were. I don't know who they're sitting with at home. Maybe somebody's sick. Maybe their mom's about to die. You have no idea. So I ask you today, forgive me. I'm not going to be one that says, no, 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 no. I'm going to be one that says, please, will you forgive me for being too judgmental? I've had that spirit. I have. And your pastor's sorry. Now, will you Confess your own sin of judgmentalism. And say, God, please help me not to be this anymore. I don't want this attitude. God, correct me if I'm wrong. That's a valuable offer for you today. That's more valuable than pearls. Is the offer of forgiveness and correction. Now, I'll offer something else to you today. For those in here that are lost, unbelievers. I want you to know that your sins are so, so many. You've got more than a log in your eye. You're sinful from head to toe. Inside and out. Your heart is wicked. Your heart is black. Your heart is sinful. And I may not be able to see it. Your parents can't see it. But you know what? God sees it. He sees with 20-20 vision. He sees with um, omniscient vision. That He knows all, sees all, understands all. He knows your sins. There's nothing. You can hide it from everybody else, but you can't hide it from God. He sees all. And your sins are so, so many. More than you could, you could ever count. And He will judge you for your sin. You will stand before Him. We will all stand before the judge one day. Amen. The judge isn't me. The jury isn't me. The executioner is not me. It is God Himself. And He said He has handed all judgment over to the Son. So He will judge. So what do I do with my sin? My sins are so many. A song says, my sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Yeah, man. Aren't you glad that you can be forgiven today? That everything that you've ever done in your life, that the smallest specks and the biggest beams can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus? Yes. If you're here today, you're lost, and maybe you don't want to confess your sins, but you know that you're a sinner and you need to be saved, I'll tell you what you do. You want to know what you do? Because my favorite verse still stands, for God so loved the world. What love He has bestowed upon us. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. He gave us Jesus. The most valuable, precious commodity in the world. It was His Son. And He gave it to us. That whosoever, that's us. Amen. Don't you love that word? That's me. That whosoever believeth on Him Believe, believe, shall not perish, shall not be judged, but shall have everlasting life. What a great verse. If you're here today and you're lost, don't trample underfoot the offer of the gospel to believe in Jesus. Stand before the judgment. Father, we thank you for these words. And I pray they'll be good for our church. I pray that they would make us, that you would rid us of any judgmental spirit here, any judgmental attitudes here, that you would correct us where we need to be corrected, that you would rebuke us where we need to be rebuked, and that there would be no one here that's stubborn to this and say, I refuse to admit, I refuse to confess. That you would rid our church. I, I want that here. That when people walk in, they'll know where we stand. They'll know the truth. They'll know right from wrong.
they won't see within us a judgmental attitude. God, please let us be that here in the church. Help me to be that as a pastor. Please. And I pray God there's one who... Bless this invitation time. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.